0: Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. This week, the power went off at the church, which was convenient for me because I was looking for a theme for my sermon. The whole neighborhood was affected. It went on for about an hour. I don't know, maybe it was one of those dreaded rolling blackouts. Well, you all know what it's like not to have power, I'm sure, for most or all of you are survivors of hurricanes or tropical storms or even the occasional deep freeze. And when the power goes out, we realize just how much of our lives have acclimated to uh, electricity being readily available. We keep our food cold. We work and uh, life continues apace even though the sun has gone down. We, of course, watch television and use the internet to do work and all sorts of other things. We cool or heat our homes. We cook and we clean. In fact, it would be far faster to list all of the things that we can do without power than all the things we do with power. Reaching deep into my memory banks, I can recall that we could play board games and card games talking. I guess we could also visit by candlelight, but other than that, there wasn't a lot we could do. Now, I'm sure over time, if our electricity were to be taken from us, then we would find a way to adjust. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that humanity lived without it, and by now we have all watched enough zombie television shows that act as sort of manuals for what to do in such a world. We can say to ourselves, hey, remember when such and such uh, gave that tutorial on how to build a vegetable garden and trap rabbits? You know, Or remember that time that nurse from that zombie show taught us all how to suture wounds? But now, without electricity, our buildings and our homes, they're really there'd be little more than empty shells providing basic shelter but little life because they would then be filled with a whole lot of things that don't work. That's the church without the Spirit. An empty shell with no power, no life inside. Indeed, the Greek word often translated as Power, uh, and used in close connection to the Holy Spirit, is dunamis. Uh, you know it as the root word for things like dynamic or dynamite. That's what Paul uh, writes in 2 Timothy 1, seven. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, dunamis, and love and self-control. Remember that self-control, I'm going to come back to that later. And in Acts 1.8, Jesus says, just before he ascends into heaven, but you will receive power, dunamis, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. Again, that's ten days before the coming of the Spirit on Pentecost. So, the difference between the Spirit and not the Spirit is life and death. Now sure, words may still be spoken, rituals may be practiced or observed, laws may even be obeyed. But without the Spirit of God in the church, there is no life, there is no power. It's just a corpse going through the motions. Well, maybe those zombie references are apropos after all. Now, this is made obvious in the early church. In some ways, they had the advantage, I think. Then there were two competing groups, right, who were both, uh, you know, claiming to be the rightful heirs of the revelation of God. You might simply call them Christians and Jews, but truthfully, uh, they were all Jews until they garnered the name Christian much later, which was a derogatory term uh, said, you know, towards Christ's followers. The reception of the Spirit, though, that was the proof that these early Christians were the true heirs to the revelation of God. And it was pretty obvious uh, where and when the Spirit was working. After all, in our reading this morning, we see... Uh, that the Spirit comes upon the apostles, and there is this great miracle of understanding, not so much speaking, they were speaking in their known languages, but all else could understand. And truth be told, that was a major part of the arguments during the Reformation, uh, as well as our own day. Uh, that is to say, we, we really have the Spirit, we are the ones who are the true heirs of the early church. So again, in in the early church it was pretty clear, as we see on the day of Pentecost, but even in the book of Acts we see this ongoing recording of miracles performed by apostles, uh, namely Peter and Paul. Uh, We see them performing many miracles, and in the letters of Paul we see uh, members of his congregations displaying the the Spirit's gifts. It's really most uh, talked about in depth, of course, in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. That's the longest passage on the Spirit sign gifts. And there the gifts of tongues and healing and prophecy are all discussed at some length. So again, the differences were pretty stark. Okay, they were easy to see. All right? One group has the power of the Spirit. One group is able to perform these incredible miracles and others are not. It it answered the question, where is God moving now? What has happened? What has changed? Uh, And of course, it's there to, uh, to defend the proclamation of Christ as Lord. Father, Son, and Spirit working together in harmony. Well, is it still the case? Is it still the case that it is obvious where the Spirit dwells? Well, I certainly hope so, uh, and yet it's not in the same way. We, we don't believe in, in our particular tradition that those same apostolic sign gifts are used exclusively to demonstrate the presence of the Spirit. Uh, we believe that those particular sign gifts, again, of tongues and healing and prophecy, were for a limited time to stand as a witness to the truthfulness of the Apostles' claims. And that with the death of the Apostles, which obviously took place after the Scriptures were written, therefore the Scriptures are written during a time when all the gifts are still available. But after the apostles die, we believe that those particular gifts for the most part came to an end. They had sort of served their purpose, if you will. Now, it's not that those gifts are no longer possible or that they can't still take place because, of course, God can do what he likes. He can reveal himself how he likes. But it's that we don't believe those gifts can be performed on demand by people who possess those gifts, whereas the apostles could do such a thing, and that's what we see in Acts. We do not live in the era of signs, but rather, as the reformers argued, we live in the era of God's word being our sole source of authority. We no longer need miracles, but rather the simple trust that God has sufficiently revealed himself to us. We don't need to speak in tongues. We just need to understand what God clearly said, which is what I think Paul means in 1 Corinthians 14. He says, I'd rather speak five words of knowledge than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now, as I said, uh, pretty interestingly, this was a debate that came up in the Reformation as well because miracles were used to claim the rightness of all sides, Catholic, uh, Lutheran, and even Anabaptist. For example, there was an early English reformer about 150 years or so before Luther, John Wycliffe. Uh, He famously translated the Bible into English. Uh, And he was supposedly seen in hell uh, by a vision of one of his opponents. Well, that vision, of course, proved that John Wycliffe was not on the right path, that he should not have translated the Bible because God judged him. He was in hell. Now, that particular vision was highly dubious, but you get the idea. Uh, Catholics and Protestants both claimed the ability to discern demons and cast them out. Uh, There were literally people, it was like people were fighting over the ability to cast out demons to prove, no, no, we're the ones who are the rightful heirs, again, going all the way back to the early church, we're the rightful heirs of the Spirit. Now, even today, of course, Pentecostals and even some non-Pentecostals will claim that, say, our tradition does not possess the Spirit because we don't speak in tongues, and we don't heal on demand, and we don't prophesy Or even raise our arms when we sing hymns. Y'all are off the hook. Y'all come to the 9 o'clock service. We don't sing any hymns. But, you know, we're we're pretty reserved, right? We don't do that sort of thing. So just like in the early church and during the Reformation, there is this division once again uh, of those who would say that uh, if you follow God, then there must be the Spirit and there must be this proof. Now, unlike in the early church, I still think that many can call themselves Christians uh, even if they have different experiences of the Spirit uh, or even wrong understandings of the Spirit. Uh, I think all Christians probably believe something wrong. Um, it's, It's sort of impossible to get perfectly correct. But the qualifier then isn't what kind of life Uh, the Spirit of God provides, but life at all, power even. For what do we say in the uh, creeds, the Nicene Creed, about the Spirit? It should be familiar to you. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. Well, what does this life then look like? Will anyone be able to notice? Because If it is not the incredible and outrageous signs that we see in the Bible as on the day of Pentecost, how will anyone know that the Spirit is among us? Well, let's look at some biblical texts that speak to what the Spirit is going to do. So, if it's not a repeat of Pentecost, we will still know that the Spirit is among us and in us. Well, first, the confession of Christ as Lord. Paul says again from that famous uh, section in 1st Corinthians, this is in 1st Corinthians 12, therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So, the confession of Christ as Lord is the work of the Spirit, cannot be done apart from the Holy Spirit. Second, the uh, Spirit will guide you and even give you words to say. Jesus says, And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And then the the Helper, as referenced in John 14 today, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And then finally, Jesus says that when the Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So if those things are absent, the Spirit is absent if those things are present then the spirit is present and these are then the direct statements uh, as to what the spirit does and will do sadly we have often made it uh, a series of fantastical events and don't forget about the fruits of the spirit mentioned in galatians 5 the final one listed is self control remember i mentioned that back in i think it was second timothy 1 Yes, a good sign that a person has the Spirit is that they have self-control, even though it is frequently a loss of control that is said to be evidence of the Spirit. So if we confess Christ, then the Spirit is among us and in us. And if the Spirit is among us and in us, then we have His power. We have the knowledge and guidance that we need to follow Christ in every area of life. May we embrace with boldness this following, never fearing where it may lead. And may we never confuse all experiences with the Spirit of God. That's why we must discern. For it is in the confession of Christ and the dutiful following of him that you will see the Spirit of God most at work. Amen.